Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today, I'm thrilled to have Harlem and Vanya Salim from Jakarta, Indonesia on the program today. Harlem and Vanya, welcome to the Rob Skinner Podcast. Thank you, Rob. You look cool. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) Great to have you here. Harlem and Vanya, I've known you probably 15, 20 years uh, since the time I was back in, in J- living in Japan. Tell me a little bit, how'd you guys become Christians? Well, I was not born in a Christian family. Uh, so, but when my mom and dad got divorced, that's when my mom started getting to church. That's when I started became, became active to go to, you know, one of the denomination church. But there's always a question uh, in my mind, um, what is really the truth? So I've been going from one religion to another religion. And at one point of time, I almost became, you know, a Muslim. Uh, one point of time, I almost became a Catholic. So I was just, it was a journey. And, uh, but I, I one, there's one point of time that I know that Jesus is definitely the truth. But, you know, being active in the church uh, didn't give me uh, the understanding of who God really is. So I was just really active. I went to church five days in a week. Wow. Serving in, you know, in the churches, uh, went to, out and evangelized. And even when I was in the college, I almost got caught by the police because of me evangelizing. So I, I was just actively doing things without really knowing who he is until like uh, after I finished uh, my school, my my undergrad in Indonesia, then I went to uh, Oregon State, got my master degree. And Bonnie and I, we were also, we were dating then and we were also very active in uh, in one of the, the church in Oregon State, but somehow I always felt empty when I come back from church. So that's when, when, one day when I was uh, working in Chicago, uh, that was 1992. Uh, I remember came back from church on Sunday and uh, all of a sudden I just kneeled down and prayed to God and I wept, uh, which I've never done that in my life. I wept and I said, God, I've been to so many church services in uh, quite a few denominations but seems like people keep saying, um, you know, don't look at the people, just look at God. And somehow it didn't make sense to me because I've been looking around, even the pastors where uh, the church I served in had an issue, affair. It just, every time it's like, just look at God, trust God, don't look at the people. It just, I just couldn't, uh, what do you call uh, making peace with that statement. Mm-hmm. So one day I, I prayed to God, I wept. I said, God, unless you can show me someone that can really live uh, like what the Bible says, you know? So the very next day, someone reached out to me uh, in my apartment. And uh, that's how I start studying the Bible. And a week later, I got baptized. Mm-hmm. And God is awesome. That's how I became a Christian. That's awesome. That's fantastic. <laughs> Now, were you there also? So I, was not, I was not very religious. And uh, 
when I was leaving for America, my dad has given me the permission to actually be a Christian because I told him, I said, I reasoned with him. I said, it'll be hard for me to find a Buddhist temple in America. So can I be a Christian? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he was like, okay, do whatever you, you want and do whatever you need to. But, you know, I think that was my first step into the water, but I didn't quite understand it. While in Oregon, I was just hopping churches. Uh, so when Harlem came, we were just part of this uh, Pentecostal church. And then uh, Harlem had to leave for Chicago for work. And when he, he came across uh, our church in the Asian ministry, he was sharing with me and I was very supportive. So when Harlow invited me to study the Bible, I was wide open. <laughs> and that was, that was a good time for me to understand the Bible uh, logically and understand to have my own quiet time. And before then, I was just going to church. I was just being active mm -hmm. in all the different international activity, Bible study, but I, didn't, I never had my own quiet time. And... Uh, when Harlem invited me to study the Bible, I had my spring break. So I took the whole week to study the Bible and got baptized that week. Wow. Now, did Harlem study the Bible with you? No. Somebody but, else. Okay. I, good. I, I arranged the group of sisters to study <laughs> the Bible with her. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would take a group. It would take a few people, that's for sure. Well, what... no. no, no, no. I was very easy. You can ask, <laughs> you can ask them. Now tell the me. leader was saying Harlem was too arrogant. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Well, so you're in Chicago. I know you're working for an accounting company, very ambitious, super successful in your, in your, your company. What brought you back to Asia? Why did you go back? It was God. I mean, today we can say that, but during that time, I was quite disappointed because I like uh, being in Chicago, got a great job, and Vanya and I already planned to live in America. That's a dream for a lot of Asian, you know, and I love Chicago, but, but uh, Vanya couldn't get a visa, you know, when she graduated, uh, she went back to arrange for our wedding. That was... Uh, and of 1993 and oh, we were thinking we were able to get Vanya back to America but somehow even though we already advised by our friend to not telling the truth but because we are already disciple we said now we have to tell the truth and uh, the reason was because somehow the government changed the regulation that whoever few yeah. months earlier, that whoever married to a green card holder, I, I, I was a green card holder then. So whoever married to a green card holder, they couldn't get the visa they to go can. back to, to no, but has can. to go through INS, INS. Immigration Naturalization Service. And and that time there was a questionnaire in the form and uh, we just didn't want to lie. And because of that, Vanya couldn't get a visa to go back. So we had our honeymoon in Europe and I had to go back to Chicago and Vanya 
I should go back to Jakarta. <laughs> so we were separated for three months. But oh my the company gosh. is so good. It allowed me to go and call Vanya every day. And during that time, there's no Skype or Zoom. So it's very expensive, but the company pay for it. Until like uh, even the company uh, uh, proposed uh, for Vanya to work for a company, but somehow it was not accepted as well. So uh, we didn't know at that time that was God's plan. So the very reason I went back uh, 1994 was to get Vanya back to America. <laughs> Uh, so, but along the way, we met with uh, John Karen Lewis and a few disciples, and somehow they said, "What is, you know, do you do, do you feel like God is calling you back to Indonesia? You know, maybe you can do something great here because you're Indonesian." And I was always avoiding that. In fact, I said, "I don't like being Indonesia. I want to go back to America, the land of milk and honey." <laughs> <laughs> So, so uh, we, you know, but we just didn't pull through uh, wow. until like one day we were, uh, uh, we watched the movie together, Sinless List. I don't know. We were, we, our heart is probably too, too hard. You know, uh, when we watched the movie, somehow that night, Vanya and I couldn't sleep because at the end of the movie, there's a there's a scene, you know, when when Sindler basically asks if like, why do I need to keep this car? Why do I need to keep this pin? You know, I could have used it to save other people. That scene, like we couldn't sleep. Okay. Mm. And we start talking about it. We're like, we're only gonna live once. Mm. I think we can't live our lives for our own self and being selfish. That's especially awesome. we are disciples. So, uh, so that's what really changed us. And uh, I remember after that, we came back to John and Karen and we said, okay, <laughs> we are open for that. So that's wow. how we got into ministry. And thank God you guys decided to do that. The, the churches in Indonesia have been uh, an inspiration around the world. People are talking about the ministry there, about the growth They've talked about you, your leadership style. I uh, talk about it all the time here in the United States. And please tell me about the size and the growth and what's happened since that time in 1993-94, since you've gone back to Indonesia. What, what's happened? Well, we basically, we joined a ministry and we are very grateful and forever grateful to the Louis for really discipling us, you know, or basically uh, put the, the, the right foundation on us because I was quite arrogant, you know, and Bonnie and I, both of us are very opinionated. No, and, just you. <laughs> said it's only me. <laughs> so um, I, I think I remember when John Louis said, you know, Harlem, I know you have some experience in Chicago, you've been leading, you know, group, but is it okay for you, for you to, to redo things, you know, not that your experience in Chicago, you know, uh, didn't count, but I think it's important for you to know we have different culture, different kind of people, and, and 
I think you got to learn to love the people here, mm. you know, because I mean, I can't say I love God, but I don't love the people. And I think that, that we, we started with that by loving the people, because I can't say I, I love God without loving the people. I, I, to be honest, I didn't love the people in Indonesia. I think <laughs> I love the American more <laughs> then, you know, so, so of course, after that, we were being trained in the ministry. We didn't leave the church then. We just leading uh, one small part of the ministry. But then uh, it, in it, the end of 1995, the Louis came to us and said they have to go to other part of the world, to, to, to Australia, basically, to, to help and lead the church over there. And they asked us, are you willing to lead the church in Jakarta. And we were like, what? We were only one year <laughs> in the ministry. Uh, but, you know, we, we prayed together and asked a lot of advice. And we said, as long as we get the guidance, amen. So, uh, so that's how we started leading um, Jakarta Church. Um, and Indonesia at that time, we had uh, four churches then. Uh, oh, I think we sent... Um, about another two uh, satellite church outside of Jakarta. And then um, I think the disciples were about around 1,000, maybe mm, yeah. around that time. I don't know. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, I think maybe in total of all the churches was around yeah, that size. And then, yep, uh, I, I would say this is totally God because we didn't know how to lead the church, to be honest. We didn't know <laughs> how to oversee other churches. We were very, very green. So I, I can only say it's, uh, it's by the grace of God. Mm. And now we have uh, 35 churches all over Indonesia and we're approaching uh, 5,800 disciples now. Wow. And, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. And Indonesia, is it the fourth largest country in the world in terms of population? Yes. It's amazing. And it's the largest Muslim. Largest country. Muslim country. You're doing yeah. Christian ministry in a Muslim nation. Um, boy, that's a whole discussion right there. I mean, how how do you do ministry differently in a in a predominantly Muslim country? I, I think community, reaching out to these kind of people, not treating them as an enemy, but really, like, like I said, if you love the people, you want to know them. You want to know their family. I think that's the best approach more than we offer doctrine to people. People are not interested in doctrine. I think we have to start with the common ground, not the differences. So for example, even during uh, fasting season, we will fast together with these people during Ramadan. We, we, we went to their houses. And I remember it was at one point of time, Bunny and I lived in, in the area. There was quite radical, a lot of radical, you know, uh, Muslims over there. Now, when I said this, I don't want us to have any bad impression about these people. They are, these are nice people, you know, just like, like us, we can call ourselves a Christian, but there's so many people that don't even read the Bible, <laughs> that don't, don't even live, live the Bible. So I think, I think we should throw away this kind of, uh, uh, what do you call, uh, pre prejudice, 
Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so when we when we do that, treat them and love them that way, uh, they they will do the <clears> same <throat> thing. I remember we live in that complex, and I remember we have quite a few radical, no, you know, people. <laughs> yeah, in our complex, and and I remember one day I invited these people to the clubhouse in our complex, and I said, "Okay, oh, well, why don't you come for Christmas service?" and the, the, uh, the Christian neighbor is like, what? You invite him? He's not going to come. He's quite radical. In fact, he doesn't like us and all that. I said, but we have been investing our time. We care for them. We went to, you know, their Ramadan. Fasting. We actually, yeah, break fast with them together. We told them, you know what? Uh, this week, we are going to fast with you. So we start the day uh, 6 a.m. That was our first meal. And we fasted the whole day. And close to 6 p.m., we went to their place and breakfast with them. Wow. So, so and, and you know what? During the Christmas service we had in our complex, this guy came. <laughs> and, a rad- and a radical and Muslim. Jesus. Yes. yes. And they were like, thank you for inviting us. And I appreciate so, your message. I appreciate your message. <laughs> I just preach Jesus <laughs> because it's Christmas time. And uh, if, if you love them, they know you're sincere. Yeah. Um, God will work. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. Now, Vanya, you've started schools there in Jakarta. And um, I want to ask you about that because I don't know of anyone else who's actually started schools. Um, that's not in your job description, I, I, I would guess, as a women's ministry leader in the church. Tell me about it. Tell me about the schools, why you started it. Tell me, tell me about the, the backstory there. Uh, well, I think, you know, there was a personal need. And um, at that time, the Indonesian ministry was still very small. And uh, both, of our, both of our salary combined we could not afford a good school. <clears throat> and my children were very young then. And uh, I think God put it in my heart to have the burden for education. So when we were like uh, school searching, the ones that I really like, I told Harlem we could not afford it. Like we could not even pay the registration fee. And uh, so I say, well, we have two choices. I could either homeschool them, but that would mean that I won't have time uh, for the ministry. So, you know, that was not a very good option. Or we could look for some good Christian school. But, so we actually did put our children in like some Christian school, uh, private Christian school, but the way they approached uh, learning was very one way because I would sit in school fellowship, like reach out to moms, but also watch how the teachers interact with their students. And coming back, I told Halam, you know what? I'm not very happy with the way they, they interact with the kids instead of inspiring or motivating with a lot of uh, positive reinforcement. They were using some threatening lines, you know, if you're late, I'll, I'll, I'll punish you this way and that way. So I told Harlem, I don't know. I mean, maybe we should consider. 
then we, I, you know, we pray and I, I was, I pray a very simple and very honest uh, two lines prayer. I say, God, I have never struggled with lifestyle since I joined the ministry. I actually love the ministry, but I think I feel really bad if I have to burn bridges for my children. Mm-hmm. I, we both grew up in a family where education is very important, even though our parents were not making so much, they would put us in a very good school. So I grew up in, uh, Catholic school was among the strongest education system in Indonesia. So from my preschool all the way to high school, I was in a very good Catholic school. In fact, Harlem and I had went to the same high school, just different year. And um, with that prayer, God started to open doors. I mean, we used a small land of my parents, a small house to start with a very small neighborhood preschool that was in 1998. So we started with three students and the school is still running until today with about 200 students. Wow. And, you know, so when my children finished preschool and kindergarten, then we need to look for the elementary school. And that was when God arranged for us to meet with a group of school owners. Uh, Initially, Harlem's mom offered her land uh, in the west side of like suburb. But we figured out, oh, you know, it'll take a ton of our energy and effort to do that ourselves. Then I pray, God, you know, I think this is too much a burden. If we have to take care of the ministry, this is not feasible. Then we met with other preschool owners who wanted to expand, expand their school. And I'm like, okay, you know, let's, let's talk. Interestingly, that was during the time when um, our kingdom had to deal with some uh, crisis where some of the third mission, uh, mission uh, ministry, like mission countries, we had to juggle with um, maintaining the church operation and I think the women's ministry role was not very clear. And that was the time when I asked Halam, would it be okay if, you know, I will still be overseeing our ministry responsibility. Would it be okay if I switch my role and add on um, managing a school? And of course we got some advice and luckily the, you know, the Louis and our leadership D group uh, was supportive. So I took myself off the um, church payroll, but I, we were still overseeing the ministry and I was able to negotiate with all the other shareholders that they would give, they will give me freedom to run the schedule my own schedule. So I, I can still attend staff meeting full-time. I could still go to retreat, but the school is running. Wow. And so, you know, God provided all the resources. You know, we did not have, a, we didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> and then the landowner said, you know what? I will match what you have. 
So you could see it, this is totally God arranging everything. And I've always believed that when we pray a big prayer like that, when it is according to God's will, he will give it to you. That's amazing. And so creative to face a challenging situation in your personal life and find a solution. And then there's financial issues and then you find another solution. Uh, is it still just one school with 200 students or there more than, is there more than one school? Oh, no. The one school with 200 is just a preschool that we privately own. But the bigger school that we have now is an elementary all the way to high school. Wow. So our two girls actually graduated from the preschool, then elementary all the way to high school from the school that we started in night. The school, the elementary to high school, I think we started that in 2000, is it 2004? Mm. Yeah. Now we have uh, the other school has about 600 students. Oh my gosh. Now is that called the, the Vanya no, school? No. Okay. Actually, this, the, the name was taken from Philippian 2, Shining Stars. Oh, Shining Stars School. That's, that's amazing. I that, love, that was the preschool. I love that, that story. And I think you told me one time that it was one of the reasons also was so that your staff could afford to send their kids to go to a good school so you could get talented staff uh, working yeah. for the church, and they could also take care of their kids at the same time. Very, yes. very creative. <clears throat> you know, yeah. right right now we've got the coronavirus. I don't know exactly what's happening in Indonesia. I mean, it, we've, we're on lockdown here in the United States, and I know around the world it's affecting everybody. But one of the things that I'm sure this that's going to impact the churches again is uh, financial. There's going to be a financial hit. Mm -hmm. No, no doubt about it, because people can't work. You faced that back in 2003 when our family of churches, the International Churches of Christ, went through a period of, of destructuring and was very, very unstructured. Funding got cut to your work there in Indonesia. But you came up with a very creative solution. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. What did you do, Harlem, to handle uh, the cutback in finances that you got in 2003 yeah i i think i think having the mindset mm. that this is god's kingdom so the, the way we look at it this is god's business so he, he he's the one that gonna provide the way out you know you look, look through the bible it's always like that but the question is i think we know the bible like even when god want to bring the israelites out of egypt that's god's project <laughs> That's God's business, and God never wants Moses to figure it out. Yeah, you know, Moses just need to obey God, <laughs> and, and God is the one actually already provided out, uh, provide, provided the way out. And I, I mean, this is throughout the whole Bible. Uh, but it's our tendency as a human being, we try to make our way or find a way out. And I think, yeah, I think not just knowing or having that knowledge, but really believing it, that God would provide the way out. I think that is uh, the foundation of all that. And I'm not trying to preach here. I'm just saying that this is something that we have to believe because sometimes we heard the lesson over and over again. I think it's just about the knowledge. What God wants is for us to be able to experience that. You'll never get to know God 
more if you don't really yes. have this kind of experience, you know, having the journey together with God. And the question is, do we really believe that? Now, in my case, I'm not saying I'm someone that have faith all the time, but in this case, we have the faith. We believe that. And that's why uh, I remember we talked to the church, yeah, you the know, church uh, awesome. so humanly speaking, as a church leader, we need to tell the church about the real situation. But it's God's part to go and move his church. It's not my part. We got, but our job is to communicate clearly yeah. about the situation, you know? So I remember that time, the leaders and even the board in our church, basically they said, look, you guys, you, you guys staff have been taking care of us. Yeah. Now it's time for us to take care of you guys. It so was, they rally around. And in fact, that year, our contribution doubled, double. <laughs> you know? So that shows that uh, it's the heart of the people. It's not about the money. I always keep telling people it's not about the money. We really believe that God provides, God will provide. Yeah. Like well, I remember since that time we Yeah. I, I remember you're telling me a story about how you felt the challenge during that time and you went down to the financial district in downtown uh, Jakarta and reached out and you ran into a guy and then he reached out to his friend and pretty soon uh, you started converting some some people that were, you know, very influential, and uh, it's really changed the church. It really makes it stand out. Can you tell me a little bit about that? How you did that? I what think, happened? Yeah, that, we, we also pray yeah, very specifically. It, absolutely, yeah. we pray very specifically because when when we said okay, there's one one thing is about from the church point of view that the disciples are giving a supportive and unified, and God really blessed the unity. That's one thing. There's another thing for us. I can't say, okay, God, we need money, and I and we don't do anything about it. Faith is basically you act on that. After you pray, you gotta act on that. So I remember I went out to the to downtown, and I reached out to people over there. Where where to get the money? We gotta go to where 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 people you know these people that 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 have money. <laughs> so I remember I was like hours and hours reaching out to people. There was none. And I remember I have another appointment after that. So I was in the parking lot and I said, God, I refuse to leave this place. I've been reaching out for hours. Please, and I please have mercy on me. Please, I need to see you working your way. So I remember as I was driving the car in the parking lot, someone just, you know, pop up. I stopped the car, start, you know, picking up the conversation. So. And then, uh, yep, it leads from one to another, and uh, God has been blessing us with this, uh, with this uh, businessman and a professional since then. And yeah, but it's it, it's it's a one one step of faith. Yeah. I know that many people who've gone to visit you and to learn from what you're doing there in the ministry have been very impacted. I certainly have, at the kind of influence and wealth and and those who've been become genuine and sincere Christians, bank owners, um, major landholders there in Indonesia. Um, is it difficult to help them become Christians? And maybe is it tempting to have a double standard for them? As, as um, No, I think, I think we learned from a mistake. In the past, we converted, I mean, we did convert, you know, one or two people in the past. But I think our mistake was we did not really 
disciple them. We had somehow created a different standard just to keep them in the church. That was our mistake. So when we restart this kind of ministry, we realized we got to really disciple them. And it was not easy when you start because you don't have the people. Even our staff that time was, was quite insecure meeting with these people. So it's a, uh, I would use the term, you got to invest yeah. your time. You got to invest in people, show them that you, you, you are genuine. I think, I think we are all human beings. We want the real thing. We want connection. We want community. We want to engage, you know, we want to be valued and respected. I think, I think when we built this ministry that way, uh, God, God is the one that make it grow. Uh, many times as a ministers, we like to quote the verse, you know, God make it grow. So what does that mean? <laughs> you know, God is the one make it grow. Uh, of course, but we got to position our staff so that God will make it grow. I That's mean, right. That's right. You know, it's not like we don't do anything, but we got to position our church. So that means we got to be willing to change. Oh, there are a lot of things that we got to change in our church, our culture uh, that 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 uh, that tends to just be satisfied with our own uh, internal satisfaction because we're so used to our own term, so used to our own fellowship, uh, we 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 become blinded. We don't know how the outsiders will view us, you know. So we start being mediocre instead of, and and start being sentimental and try to be inclusive towards certain people, yeah. Rather than going for the excellence that God actually expect from us, yeah. So uh, we gotta we gotta uh, eliminate things that are not uh, that doesn't position us to make God grow the church. So right. a lot of things, a lot of changes, including ourselves, including the way we lead our ministry. Right. Uh, I remember one question that I asked to myself, do I really know how to build community? No, I don't even know. Can you imagine? I, I know how to lead the church. I know how to preach, how to lead this uh, uh, Bible talk, but I don't even know how to really build community. And I asked my staff, None of us know. And then we realize <laughs> we, we have not been engaging people in our life. <laughs> you know, I think we, we, we just go evangelize right. and, just, and, then, and then study the Bible with people and just try to convert them. Right. We ourselves don't even know right. how well, to really build engagement and build community. I that's, think that's very encouraging for people listening because, quite honestly, I think Many, many people look at you, both of you, and go, man, they're so talented, they're so smart, they, they are, you know, they've got an amazing church, and I don't think I could ever do that. And I think it encourages them to hear, hear you say that, that you had to learn that. And I think that's what I, one thing that impresses me about you is you faced challenges, you didn't know what to do, you didn't know how to solve the problem, but you found a solution, whether it's starting a school or trying to develop your own funds for income or developing community and you found a way to solve the problem. Now, many, many churches around the world are facing a new challenge, new instability with the coronavirus. 
Tell me how you're adapting to this. What are you doing differently? How have, how's it impacted your ministry? And what are you learning during this time? I think it is important in building the church. We have to follow the pattern of what God has given us. Let me give you one example. I think, I think the gifting of the church is very important. In the past, we put people that don't even have uh, the gift of leadership to lead. <laughs> it's not their fault. They get burned out because we don't put people in the right gifting. And I think we don't, we, I think we preach about it, but we don't really exercise it. And the disciples don't experience that their gift are being used. So that was totally different. We built a church based on that. Uh, I'm not saying that we are there yet, but I would say most of the churches we have now, the disciples are using their gift. So when it comes to this coronavirus, for example, it's not going to be me, me and Vanya or other church leaders that will be doing it. We have a task force that we form. Yes. Uh, you know, in the Bible, the, the apostles uh, will focus on uh, uh, on preaching the word and the prayer. Well, other people using their gifts, you know, like deacons can use their gifts. So we have a task force. Uh, for example, we have task force of uh, really advising people on their health. We have a few doctors in the church, so uh, they can advise. So that's not my job. I can give a wrong advice if people come and get advice from me. So that also free up the staff to not be burdened and give a wrong advice. We also have what we call a, a task force that really take care of the basic needs of the people, food and shelter. We make it very clear to the church that uh, we are not gonna take care of their mortgage. We are not gonna take care of their debts. <laughs> But for basic food and shelter, we'll take care of them. Uh, and we have that task force. We have task force that are uh, uh, taking care of uh, distributing the mask. And, you know, so, so because of that, as a church leader, we are not burdened and overwhelmed. What I could see is eventually, if we don't really use the gift of the church, which God already distributed <laughs> in an amazing way, you know, uh, and, and we don't use that. Eventually, the church leaders will get burned out. They mm -hmm. themselves have a mental health problem eventually. Right. You know? so, so I think that's very important. Uh, I think we, uh, we, we, we already anticipate, um, like three weeks ago, we told all the church leaders yeah. to re-budget for the year 2020. Cut it to 50%. Let's make that budget cut it by 50% because none of us know how long this is gonna, gonna last. The way we, 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 we deal with it, we can't deal with it like this is a disaster relief. Disaster relief, hurricane or earthquake happen only for a few days, that's it. And then we can come and, and, and relieve them. But this is ongoing. Can you imagine six if you months. have a hurricane for six months or for one year? Uh, the, the way we deal with it, we can't come with it with the mode of operation of disaster relief. This is, this is about survival and sustainability. So the solution has to be sustainable. So what we do is uh, we, we have a task force that will help people that will lose their job and provide them with job. So the money is up there. It's just not being spent in the mall, not being spent in, in, in so many other places, but the money are over there. But what should we do? We should focus on where the attention is. The attention is right now is COVID-19. It's a survival. So now the mask, the face shield, all these uh, sanitizers, 
the basic food, uh, all these kind of things. That's where the money goes to. Right. So we have been uh, having a task force and train the disciples, equipping them to, to not focusing on losing the job because we don't know what's going to happen over there, but equipping them to start be able to earn money on the areas where the money goes. The money is plenty. I mean, right. people use much tremendously nowadays. And, and we are people that creating, uh, we are selling our face shield right now. Uh, we are producing it, uh, so thousands and thousands of face masks, and that give job to the disciples. That's great. So now, you, let me ask so you this, Vanya. Like what, Vanya, let, let, there's a lot of people listening that they're in a small church, they're in a mission mission team, maybe there's 30 disciples in their church, and they're like, oh man, I'd love to have a task force. I'd love to have, you know, a lot of, but how do I, they're, they're feeling disoriented. They're feeling like, I can't meet with my people that, you know, where people are at their homes. What advice would you give those people? Well, I think, you know, they, they should not lose view of God in, you know, in time like this. And I feel like when we have faith, our creativity will give us a lot of ideas. That's right. And when you are faithful, you look at opportunities. You know, the problem is still the same, but when you have faith, you know, we can actually see how God will turn a situation into an opportunity. Like now we don't have church meeting, but our attendance is actually better. Wow. Because those, those disciples who used to make excuse that, oh, you know, I was caught in traffic. I have to, I'm stuck you know, with work and all that. Now they don't have those excuses. That's right. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I think, I think we, we should not focus on the circum, circumstances. I think circumstances happening, our uh, five senses will sense that <laughs> automatically. I, I think our perception, and Bonnie mentioned about faith, faith will change our perception. And circumstances, plus the perception will create a different experience. Yeah. So the experience that you're experiencing really depends on your perception. It's not the circumstances. That's right. <laughs> so, I totally agree. Yeah. So with, with a lot of families that, I mean, I think, uh, I know I have some moms that call me up and say, what do I do? I can't manage my kids at home. I have three and they're running around like monkeys, you know? <laughs> but I think... I told them, yes, it's not easy, but now you have all the time to train them. Mm -hmm. Oh, there you go. I mean, it take, it take three days to begin with, and it takes seven days to maintain a structure. Mm -hmm. So if you use this, you use this time to really train them, uh, I think you will really enjoy your family. Like Halam and I, we had been you know, shelter in place for six weeks. And like, yeah. about six yeah. weeks since Time you were, flies, huh? got, yeah. you know, yeah. Halam had some symptoms, but she was negative. <laughs> Good. He was, he was tested. So I think, you know, in the span of this time, we still run our ministry online. We still meet people. I still do my Bible study. In fact, you know, I actually look through 
some names that used to study and they got very busy. And, you know, we got back in touch and I say, hey, you know, I, I suppose you're staying home. Would you like to resume your Bible study? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think to go back to your questions, like uh, for the small church that don't have the resources, I, I think they have to be eager enough to know their resources and be able to go and get help from the church that have resources. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, and the, the church that have better resources, I think they have to be able to not just look into themselves, but be able to go and provide and equip this church to provide help. For example, we have small churches and we know like resources. Yes. So what we do, for example, we already have a, a Zoom session that a brother that successfully doing hydroponic to go and train these people. Yeah. Uh, we have, uh, so this 25th, we, we're going to have our a webinar basically with all churches all over Indonesia to help our churches to do more effectively through online. Every week we keep uh, providing them with the resources, upgrading them with whatever we learn, because every week we learn new things, yeah. right. how, to make, uh, how, to, how to do church better. And we share that. Uh, and then we're going to have our, also so many things we can do uh, to equip them, whatever job opportunity that we have, we created here in Jakarta, we shared it with them. So there's so many creative ideas right. uh, because of that. And we also have a brother that is very strong with finance and budgeting, give a session to all the married couple and you know, guide them through how they can save from you know, their, their normal budget into a saving mode. And I think those are the practicals that really helps married couple to, to cut down on expenses and save for rainy days. And I think, you know, this is the time where we have to, when you stay at home, you actually save quite a bit. Right. Yes, that's for sure. Actually, using the gift in the church, that's from God. <laughs> that's, that's the great. best way. <laughs> yeah. Now, the first person you mentioned before the person that did the, the budgeting, what, what kind of a webinar did he do? Did you say hydroponics? That's different. The hydroponic is a brother in a, in a smaller mission churches, in one of the smaller mission churches, uh, who, who was part of the mission team, but she, he found a way to plant and grow a hydroponic vegetable farm. And he learned that. So he's like, you know what? I can actually share to the disciples so at least they can provide for themselves. Right. So, so just using people's talents and getting, yes. getting that so, out. And to then we organize. We have a chat group for all the leaders in the whole Indonesia of these 35 churches. What, whatever we find can help the finance, can help them get. We share and then we host. I see. And, and so, people so you're, you're combining, you're, you're connecting all the churches yes. right now during this time. Yes. That's fantastic. Yes. That's fantastic. Now, let me ask you this. You, you mentioned your kids. You've got two beautiful daughters. Uh, they're both grown right now. You know, Vanya, you, you could be right now in the Chicago suburbs living in a big house, <laughs> um, but you chose to come back to the mission field. How'd you do that? Like, what, we know you started a, started a school, <laughs> which just is pretty amazing. What 
what advice would you give mothers raise, you know, who, who want to serve, want to do ministry, but feel like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm torn between these two things. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not easy when you have young children, but I have always believed that, you know, our children is to see us loving God. And both of my kids are disciple with strong conviction. And it's not an overnight effort. Like from when they were two year old to now, like there are many times I'll bring them out to do prayer walks. And then when we get home, uh, before bed, we'll talk about different things. And, you know, kids, they ask a lot of cute questions. Like, you know, mom, I cannot see God. How do I know there is God? And when kids ask those kind of questions, I always look at that as moment of truth. That is the moment when you actually make God real to them. And um, besides us training them, I think it's important for our children to experience God themselves. And they would only know how to if we share to them. I mean, both of us, we have a lot of experience where God actually provides. I mean, during the days where the church didn't have a lot of financial support, uh, we had to we had to kind of like split whatever money is there to all the staff. And there were times Halam and I we, we would not be getting anything that week because we would we'll put the other stuff first. And when we were at desperation and we prayed, God always did something. That's Whether it's my mom offering a small gift of money for the kids or somebody just dropped food in our house, you know? So those are the things that I felt like we need to share to our children, how God provide over the time. And, you know, I think for moms in the ministry, it's important for us to learn the practical skill where we actually need to put structure and train our children to, to enjoy being in the structure. Like we had scheduled, and I mean, even right now, it's funny to watch how my two girls, uh, live their life because they are very structured. <laughs> they have scheduled for work, they're scheduled for ministry, they have scheduled to relax, you know, like if they want to like tone down, like wind down and watch a movie, it's, it's there. And this, these are some of the habits we started off from young. Mm -hmm. Like I only sat with them to do homework when they were in grade one and two. When they step into grade three, I told them I'm around, but you do your thing. And I will give you say four to five to look through your homework. The question you don't understand, just circle them. I'll get back to you. <laughs> and once they hit, <laughs> once they hit grade middle school, Halam and I, we are usually out and about because Jakarta has a lot of traffic. So we told them, look, if you have um, quizzes or exam or homework that you can't do, usually the teacher won't assign something and it's due tomorrow. It's never like that. It's usually they assign something, they'll give them a few days. And I say, when you get any assignment, 
just look through the assignment. If you need help, you need to make an appointment with dad or me. That's great. <laughs> that's, that's great advice. And, and I think there are a lot of people that, that really want to grow. They want to, they want to do ministry, but they feel like it's an either or situation. And I think both of you have shown you can do both. You can, you can serve in the kingdom of God. You can serve in leadership and you can raise a great family, which, which you've done. Now, one of the challenges of ministry is dealing with setbacks, dealing with failures, having times where you go, man, am I really cut out for this? You know, should I, should I go back to my, my job, my career that I had? Tell me about a time when you really wrestled with setbacks or a failure and how'd you work through it? How'd you come back and go, okay, I'm going to just, I'm going to fight through this. You, you want me to share? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think everyone will have setbacks, you know, disappointment. Um, but I think this is the way I look at it. This is totally God's grace that I was able to decide which path that I'm going to take when I face challenges or disappointment in my life. I can choose the way that will destroy me mm. or I can choose the way to try to escape it, <laughs> you know, escape it, don't want to deal with it. But I know if I choose that path, then I'm going to be facing it again. <laughs> it's a matter of time. Mm -hmm. Or... I will really deal with it. Uh, look at my own self. What is it that, that that God allowed it to happen? That God wants to deal with me, okay? And and then after that, be able to choose a healthy path that will bring me to understand God better, to understand myself better, so that it can help me to serve other better. So I think I think that's very important for us to decide. You know, the very reason why Daniel and his friends be able to face the trials because I think they already decided, already set in their heart. I think it's very important for us to set first. If we haven't set it, that means the circumstances will influence us. But I think if we already set it, when we face that, we are ready. And now we, we, we know which path we're going to take. So uh, some people, uh, when I talk about setback, I'm talking about the emotion. Yes. Of course, you feel sad, yes. you feel disappointed, you feel frustrated, but emotion will not last long. But if you keep thinking, you keep dwelling in it, it eventually becomes a feeling that affected your whole mindset. Right. Emotion and feeling are two different things. I think I allow it to become my emotion and be real about my emotion, but that's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're human beings. We need to be real. We are a real thing here. Right. But emotion will not affect my life right right <laughs> but if i keep allowing it then it becomes a deep feeling that eventually affect the way i see things is my perception totally wrong and then my experience <laughs> right. will, will will be bad as well so right. i think it's uh it's not about the problems that we are facing the challenges in life we will face challenges but i think it's important for us to know and decide before the thing happened to us. I, th I think that's the way we deal with it. That's why Paul is so, this guy can have joy <laughs> even in prison. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah. just got a, a couple more questions here for you. I want you to imagine that tomorrow you get a phone call from 
the powers that be, and you have been placed in charge of our families of churches, and you've got to come up with a plan to get all of our churches growing around the world, in India, uh, East Asia, and back in America and Africa and Europe. What would your first three things do? What, what would you do to help our churches to grow? Well, you're talking about globally? Globally. That's not, yeah, that, I, 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 I can't do that. You know, only God can do that. But I think what we can do is to really know what is really our mission. We got to get back to that. I think the very reason why we don't grow because we put on the wrong focus. What is really the purpose, the mission of our church? This question I have to ask few times every year because we can easily be drifted, okay? And, and, and every church that I know that are stuck, they are proud because they have been blind. The leaders work hard. They pray hard, but they forgot about their mission. If you really look at the mission of the Bible, it's all about relationship with God. It's all about relationship with people. And if we, if that's our mission, our mission is not just to go baptize people. It's to really make, make people to know their God, have that relationship with God. And then that translates to their relationship with their neighbors. That's why they're able to, 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 to allow the, the life of God through them, you know, uh, and, and reach out to people. It's about relationship. And I think this is what has been lost. People care more about, okay, am I going to baptize people? Am I going to convert people in the next few months? But most of the disciples are not really engaging with people. They are not really having a real relationship with people. So to, to go back to your question, I think, I think we get back to the mission that Jesus gave to us. His power is the one that's going to make us yes. grow again. What? But our job as a leader is to remind people what is really our mission. What is really... Okay. The mission uh, first. The How about you, Vanya? What, you, what are your thoughts? What well, would you I think, do? You know, I, I, we have been in the ministry for more than 20, what, 1995, 25 years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think for women, relationship is very important. Like, I want to be with my friends. I want to build families with my friends. So I think being in the ministry, one of the important things that... Uh, I, I know Harlem and I, we have a lot of friends in the church. You know, we are close to the staff, but we also have our personal ministry where we share a similar like stage in life. And these are people who knew us. They had, you know, because we had studied the Bible with them or we had counseled them and we have also confided in them. So I felt like if, as church leaders, we need to be human. Like, we are not just leaders. Right. And I think we need to surround ourselves with people that we can trust or people that, you know, we invested our time and love and they know we are the go-to if they need anything. And I've, I, we are very blessed that... <clears throat> The ministry that we are part of, besides being responsible for the region and Indonesia, I felt like 
Harlem and I, we felt very loved because these people in our personal ministry, they are really our close friends. Mm. You know, they're not just people that we meet. And I think these are the people that we could cry with and they would cry with us. Mm. I think for women, that is one of the most important things. Like we would laugh together. We will like do silly things together. One of the most common things that I hear from, from women in the ministry is I don't have any friends. I'm lonely. And this is whether people are in a small church or whether they're in a large church. I hear it just across the board. Um, I'm, you know, I don't have anyone around me. I don't have people to talk to. And they may have 600 people in their church, but they still feel isolated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, yep. and so what, you, what you've done is you've built a personal ministry where you're connecting on a personal level. You've got friends around you. There's, there's a, a, a motto that I like to say. I'd rather have 50 engaged people mm. rather than 5,000 disengaged people. Wow. That's, and that's, with these 50 engaged people, we're going to go. That's we're going to evangelize the world. That's awesome. Well, thank and you. And I think, you know, it's not impossible because when we, when we were, uh, when we went to Singapore, John and Karen put us in the ministry that we didn't really know those people. But I think you put the time in where we have them over to our house for dinner or we'll go out as a family with their kids in the water park, just to get to know the family. So when, you know, when women feel like they are, they are isolated or they don't have friends, I would advise invest in two person hmm. to begin with. Invest in two people. Make time, you know, like stay in touch, know what's going on with their life. I mean, I'm trying now with my old high school friends just, you know, follow it, like asking them about how life had been to them. And it has been really awesome that I'm getting to know a lot of my high school friends now through WhatsApp. Uh, we don't even meet them, but right. through WhatsApp, they tell me their story. And I think in the ministry, it's even easier because we have the same, like we have the same God and father and we have our spiritual journey. That's powerful. Now, Last question for you guys. We've got people listening to this podcast all over the world and people are inspired. They're obviously, they're, they're motivated. They're like, wow, that's, that's powerful. I really want to imitate. What advice would you give a person who's listening and they're thinking, I really want my life to count. I really want to have that kind of impact that I see. What would you tell them? To, to do? What, what could be a first step for them to live a, a life of no regrets? I, I think one of the biggest mistakes, I mean, I, I look at my life as a Christian. I think the time when I'm not doing well is when I don't see God for who he is. Mm-hmm. And I don't see myself or the church as God sees it. That if, if I could redo my life, that is one thing that I'll fix us because even the book of Genesis, God says he made us according to his image. And, but, and then when he said, when he already made us new as a new creation, the old Harlem is gone. Now this is a new Harlem. He said, everything that I need 
for life and for godliness. God has given that. And every spiritual blessing, God has given that. I think we know that. I used to know that, but the question is, do I really believe that? And I think if we know that, that means I am righteous. I am holy. And Jesus' work is perfect. It's not just 30% for this guy and then 70% for that guy. No, it's 100% for every disciples. When I know that, that is very different. That gives me a different confidence that I don't have to try work my way out so that I can be holy or righteous because Jesus had made me holy and righteous. He is the one that put things right. Not I'm the one trying to make things right. When, when, G, when, when God says he created his church, he was the one that make it awesome. The church is sane. Yeah. They are holy people. That's the way God look at it. But we were the one in our humanistic way, look at people as like, oh, they are weak. Mm -hmm. Oh, these guys. No, they have Holy Spirit. Wow. But the question is, I don't want us to understand it just as a knowledge or concept, but do we believe it? If we believe it, we will live it that way. Mm -hmm. And that will change the way we see our own self. That's the way we approach people differently. The way we come to God very differently. Wow. I'm, I see God's goodness, God's kindness, God's faithfulness. And I'm in awe. That makes me want to draw close to him. Yeah. Wow. Anya, any it's comments different on that religion one? Way. And sometimes in the church, we make it more like a religion way that I have to make it right first. Then I'll come to God. That's very, very wrong. And I think that was, I experienced that in my Christian way as an early, in my early walks with God. And that makes me feel guilty, condemned. And that was wrong. I think I know right now, I'm as righteous as what Jesus made me. And, uh, and I see, I see my brothers and sisters, the same thing. But now, how can we experience God more and more? We already there, That's but right. we are not here. Yeah. Yes. So it's a, it's a something that we have to experience. And, and, and that's, that's, that's one thing that I want to say. I just sat to see many Christians are being deceived. Yes. Right. Vanya, well, did you want to add anything onto that? Well, I think for women, uh, we get, the way Satan works through us is through how we think, you know, and uh, Satan works through doubts. And I feel like I would echo what Harlem said. I think we need to have the right view of God that, you know, God loves you so much that he has gone through so much effort, even to the point of dying on the cross. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for us to work through um, just, you know, whatever we've been through in life, our upbringing, our pain and suffering. And really work through that and see God in the picture. And unless we could work through that, I think we could not help people who are going through that if we have not resolved, um, come into resolution that you know God loves us. Right. And I feel like for women, sometimes that is the setback. That is when we lost sight of God because we put so much time into our own doubts into the way we think instead of just really finding the truth in the bible wow. 
Harlem and Vanya, thank you so much for joining me today on the Rob Skinner Podcast. It's been fantastic to have you with us. And I want to say thank you for joining us. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. If you enjoyed today's program, I'd like to ask you to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Have a great day and make this life count.